sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Ah, oh, it's a beautiful Monday, where I am anyway, down here in Amelia Island, Florida, although I've been watching the weather. It looks like things are not nearly as nice up in Tennessee. Let me check in with our our co-host, our good friend, Aaron <laughs> My, Porter. Your, your weatherman? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah. that bad. Yesterday was amazing. Uh, was it really? Was it beautiful? Yeah. You didn't get was, the rotten cold weather? No? No, it was like 65, light breeze. It was beautiful. Oh, fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Here's the irony that used to be in Tennessee. I'd be in California. We promised we wouldn't talk about weather anymore because we did that every (laughs) week for so long. And now I'm giving you the weather report from Tennessee. It was was lovely (laughs) yesterday and wasn't bad today. So uh, the weather is looking good. Traffic is clear. We're going to head out to the helicopter over the (laughs) 24. Uh, Yeah. So here you are. Still in Florida. Still in Florida here for uh, here for the duration. Looks like we're going to be here for we're trapped in Florida for another couple of months. I I have I will be escaping this weekend, going up to uh, uh, Augusta, Georgia, for the First Presbyterian Church there. Talking with some other guys, some other trips coming up. Every time uh, you you mentioned that last week, and every time one of my favorite things to do with the kids when they were younger. We yeah, were yeah. Given a Wii, and I had Tiger Woods golf, and I just loved on the weekends when I would try to disconnect my brain. I would play Wii uh-huh. golf with the kids, and yeah. Augusta, Georgia, was one of my golf courses. Oh, sure, I, absolutely. I've, I've played so many tournaments at Augusta; it's ridiculous, <laughs> and I just crushed that course. <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> All right, that's good. Well, then you're—I'm uh, sure you qualify for the Masters this year. Then that's good. Oh, easily. I'll see you there. Kidding me? I, yeah. I, yeah, not a problem. <laughs> I'll tell you what else I've been doing is I've been digging into. I, I feel good. I've got several creative projects that I'm working on. I've got plenty to keep me busy here. One of them, by the way, is uh, a book of yours—a wonderful little book that I'm in the process of editing for you about uh, the fatherhood of God, the perfect father. Wonderful stuff, man. I'm enjoying it. Nice. Uh, I, I tend to edit with a heavy hand. I, uh, uh, but the, what I love about you is you have no ego attached to what you write. You're far better about that than I am. Yeah, that, I take editing personally. That makes me sound uh, like I am trying to be good at that. I just don't give a shit. <laughs> See, that, that's such a, uh, I love that attitude. Uh, I wish that I had that attitude when I submit a manuscript. Uh, you know, in my mind, I have submitted the perfect book, which obviously doesn't need any improvement. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know I mean? we've, we've talked about this for so long because when you write a book, you just go like paragraph by paragraph Whereas I go away for a very short period of time and just vomit all over the pages. <laughs> and I'm like, it probably sucks, but here's a bunch of pages on this subject. Like I already <laughs> assume it's total crap and it really needs to be cleaned up. So yeah. thanks for, well, it's not total for- crap. It, it's, it's great. Con- it's great content and wonderful phrases. And, and I'm, I'm grateful that you give me the license to go ahead and, you know, play with the wording a little bit. So that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. And are you, meanwhile, you're writing too, right? Or rewriting? What are you working on? Yeah. So I, I'm hoping, I don't know what the time frame is, but there's going to be the, the soul architecture book is going to be re-edited and put out. Okay. That you're working on. And then, oh, surprise, uh, as part of this trilogy of books, the marriage book, that I wrote when I was 25 years old. <laughs> when you and, knew everything about marriage. No, And so this, uh, let me just say, I remember one of our elders, I won't say his name, but he was totally right. He, we were in an elders meeting and the book got brought up. I was finishing it and he was mm-hmm. angry with me. He's mm-hmm. like, how dare you write a book on marriage? Yeah. You've been married like six years. I was married when I was 19. Yeah. yeah. And I went out with him after that. And just kind of talk through some really hard stuff that I had 
had to go through in my marriage. Yeah. Right. And said, look, I don't care if anybody ever reads this. I'm writing this for my own sake. I need to know yeah. what I'm supposed to understand and do. Yeah. And so, you know, it was used by some pre-marriage counseling and some small groups, but by and large, not, not a used book. And I didn't care. It didn't and get mass distribution? No. And no, so okay. yeah. it, it, it got my poorly edited PDF sent out to groups of people. Yeah. Um, and I, and I never felt good about that. But yeah. Right now, you know, 20 years later and a year after a divorce going back and re reading and editing and writing on this stupid book that this idiot 25 year old wrote <laughs> is <laughs> totally bizarre and yeah, totally yeah. wonderful. I'm yeah. loving it. I'm, I'm, yeah. I grieve the boy that mm-hmm. I, st- there are still these pharisaic legalistic parts that I'm like, Oh, you dumb ass kid. <laughs> it just breaks my heart and it delights me. I've just like deleted pages at a time where I'm like, why, why did you think you needed to write this kid? Yeah. Yeah. But then there are other parts that even now I love marriage. I love it. Mm-hmm. And the stuff about marriage, it's just thrilling my heart that I don't mm-hmm. feel any different about that stuff. I think yeah, yeah, I think yeah. the biblical version of what marriage is for men and women, both in its in its principles and in its specificity, is life-giving mm-hmm. to both men and women. And it's only yeah. been twisted into nonsensical stuff over millennia. It doesn't mm-hmm. even fit with the text. Like you yeah, take something yeah. like a, a helpmate and most people think, oh, the woman's the helpmate. That means she's supposed to practically serve. Well, wait a minute. Yeah. She was a helpmate yeah. in a perfect garden before there. What? She wasn't practically serving. He yeah. was incomplete and in need of her to complete the image of God in her. And so she was a helpmate in both of them and him specifically discovering God through her creation. That's what she's a helpmate to. Not that she does the dishes. And when you, when you just take these things, I'm just, I'm thrilled all the time looking at how clear the Bible is and how Mm. exciting it is and how beautiful marriage is. So I love it, but I also grieve the kid that still needs to say you should read your Bible more. But we're going to talk more today about how we grow, and that becomes a beautiful thing. But man, there was there is a lot of Pharisee in Aaron Porter at age twenty five. And uh, you know, specifically, we're gonna we got a great conversation coming up. We'll touch on this theme of how the Bible seems to change when our perspective changes and we see it more clearly. You're gonna want you're gonna enjoy this conversation. I know you will. We'll be back in a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, we have a guest today uh, who, even though I haven't seen his face in maybe 30 years, means a great deal to me. I've waited a long time to thank him. So it was about 30 years ago in a church in Florida. Uh, I heard Dudley Hall preach on the fatherhood of God. It was just beautiful, fantastic. And I heard afterwards that he had a training program for young men down in Texas. At the time, uh, my stepson, David, was, uh, I don't know, 19 or 20 and was in deep, deep, deep trouble. He was in trouble with the law, trouble with drugs. Uh, He'd managed barely to graduate from high school, but he was lost and he was in a, he was in a really bad way. Hmm. And, uh, 
and Dudley took him in. David went to Texas for nine months to Emmaus Road. I talked to David uh, earlier today. <laughs> he told me that uh, just yesterday, as a matter of fact, he pulled out his notebooks from Emmaus Road. He's got two full notebooks that he rereads on a regular basis. Oh. Ac- absolutely saved that boy's life. He wow. is uh, today a, a wonderful uh, Christian man, father, husband, a straighter arrow than I am. Uh, he's been married for 26, 27 years, raised two boys, Great. loves God, raised his boys in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And uh, I owe a huge debt of gratitude, our entire family does, to our guest today, Dudley Hall. Dudley, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Nathan. That's, uh, that's encouraging, you know. All of us who are have been involved in ministry wonder sometimes, does any of those seed ever come up? And uh, <laughs> it's, it's always always good to, to get that kind of report. So I'm so I'm so proud of him and proud of you and proud of Jesus for just showing himself to be full of mercy. So thanks for telling me that. That, that made my day. Good. Fantastic. Well, I wonder uh, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, I don't know. My, I, don't, I hope your recall is better than mine. Uh, I don't know what was going on in your life and ministry all those years ago when you were doing Emmaus Road. But I, I, I wonder if you can maybe share with us what gave you a heart for uh, ministering to men specifically, young men, you sure have had a profound impact on an awful lot of people during your years of ministry. How'd that get rolling? Well, uh, by encountering the grace of God at, in, in a, uh, at a level that I didn't know existed, mm-hmm. I, uh, I grew up trying to be a good boy, going to church and uh, doing all the, quote, right things. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it was just, uh, I, I, I guess I had enough people pleaser in me that I wanted to please my parents and, and the people that were important to my parents. So I, I was a good boy. I, I wanted to do a lot of bad things, but, uh, you know, didn't, <laughs> didn't do as many as, uh, some of my friends were. And so I, I was, uh, you know, I was a good boy and, uh, I wanted to be a doctor when I was a boy, uh, and took off in that direction as I got further along in high school and uh, started thinking about going to college. I, I was checking out med schools, pre-med places. And uh, it, it was in the middle of all that praying. Oh, and my family wasn't very, didn't have very much money. So I knew if I, if I went to college, I was going to have to kind of make it happen. And so I did have some athletic ability, and so I, I had scholarship offers from different schools in the South, and so I was going to play football somewhere, and I kept uh, looking for schools that, that had the pre-med thing. And in the middle of praying, I, you know, like I said, I was a good boy, so in the middle of praying about that whole deal, I, I realized God was not calling me to be a doctor, but he was actually calling me to gospel ministry, which was not a thrilling thing for me because uh, most of the preachers <laughs> I knew really boring and uh, church wasn't all that great. And so it, it truly was a surrender, like, okay, you know, uh, I got to have peace, so I'll do whatever he says, that thing. And uh, so I went to school. I went to college on a football scholarship and thought I made a deal with God that if I would be a good witness and try to be a good boy and use the platform of an athlete to speak for him, that you know, he would help me be good and, and uh, help me to be a good athlete. So I went, and uh, it seemed like he was keeping his part of the bargain because I, I played as a freshman. I was a starter as a freshman, and and mm-hmm. got to play. But uh, as, we, as as that went along, I got hurt pretty badly. I had my hip all messed up, and uh, was in the hospital for a long, long time. And uh, they had to sedate me, and so I was unconscious for a good long time. When I woke up, wow. I, was, uh, uh, I was in the room alone, and uh, when I first remember being conscious, and the doctors had told me before they put me under that I probably wouldn't play football anymore, that they would try to get me walking again, maybe. So I just remember mm-hmm. uh, when I woke up, I was uh, 
I was apologizing. I, I was apologizing to Jesus for not being able to do all the things that I had promised him I would do. And I wasn't mad with him. I was, I was apologizing. It's like, I, I'm sorry. I, nobody wants to hear a crippled uh, athlete who's, who's a freshman. Uh, so uh, I, that, that career is over. And so I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm sorry. And in the middle of that uh, exchange uh, of two hearts talking, I heard Jesus say to me, I love you right where you are. You don't ever have to get out of that bed. And I don't expect anything. I just, I love you. And I won't quit. And that awareness uh, became a motivation for me. I, I, I didn't know how to say it at the time, but as I look back on it, here's how I would say it. At that moment, something clicked inside that said, whoever that is, I want to know him. I want to know that yeah. guy. Not the yeah. one that I've been hearing about and trying to live up to and please and all that. I, I want to know that guy. <laughs> so <laughs> that that started a different motivation and everything that I did then had a different motivation to it. So my schooling, my seminary, whatever, it was like, I'm still trying. I just want to know. I want to know. <laughs> hmm. Still do. I just I want to know that God. Hey Dudley, how does it make you feel emotionally to have a kinship with Jacob that the same angel of the Lord, Jesus incarnate, had to touch your hip to get you to change directions? I've thought about that a lot, Aaron. <laughs> I knew you had. I want to know how it feels. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I've had different feelings about that. For, you know, there's there's that old pride feeling of, I'm sorry, I had to be so stubborn. You had to touch me in the hip. You know, why, why didn't you just whisper in my ear and say, Hey, don't do it that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's for the Elijah's. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, the what other, yeah. The other feeling is, wow. You know, he is, he's really serious, isn't he? He'll do whatever mm -hmm. it takes to, yeah. to show you his mercy. And yeah. so, yeah. You know that, yeah, Jacob. You know I don't, I don't presume to be as important in the narrative as Jacob was, but the fact that the same God would do the same thing, and and that in my life it's as important as what happened to Jacob, and so he he did it for me, and it's like wow, that's pretty amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. So so how did you come to the the passion for this father? How did you say it, Nate? The, the sermon that you well, heard? Well, he did a whole series on the fatherhood of God. Um, and I will tell you that at the time, you know, I was focused on my son who white, who obviously was a screw up and was in deep trouble. But at the time I was an active addict, but nobody knew it. Mm. Uh, drowning in shame and working very hard to keep up appearances. And I had a good reputation still in the church and I was, you know, <laughs> I was leadership material and I didn't have the nerve to admit to Dudley, to myself, to anybody else, really the depth of my need, the desperation of my position. But I do remember just the message of the gospel that we have a daddy who adores us. Hmm. Uh, it was so, it resonated at the time, I got to tell you, it almost sounded too good to be true, and I wasn't <laughs> able, I wasn't able to rise to it. Then it took a while. It took a while. It took. T I had to hit the wall myself and run out of options before I was ready that's to a run. Testimony, right there. You'll yeah. know. You'll know you heard the gospel if one of your first responses is that's too good to be true, and I can't believe it yet. Yeah. Why, yeah. why do you, yeah. why do you think Dudley that we feel so much more comfortable with a workaholic dad who's only interested in his kingdom and how we can serve it and a rageaholic <laughs> dad who's never impressed by anything. He's always disappointed. Why is it that we find more comfort and ease accepting that kind of a father than the one presented in scripture? Of uh, course, that's what we deserve. I, I, I mean, that's, that, that's, mm -hmm. that's all I could ask for. I, I, to ask for any more than that would be to ask for something that I, I don't have a right right to. I'm, I'm not. I'm not that good, and I, I don't mm -hmm. deserve that. So, uh, 
a, a dad that's perfect and a dad that loves unconditionally and a, a dad that delights in me. It's like, I, I can't be true. Uh, I, I know some boys that would fit that, you know, they deserve that, but I, I don't deserve that. So it's, a, <laughs> it's that sense of, uh, disqualification and, and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's just a total misunderstanding of the nature of God because, uh, you know, when Adam and Eve, why did they run and hide behind a bush? Uh, they, they were, they were confusing the nature of God. What were they thinking? It's like, well, I don't know that I don't, I don't want to be close to him anymore. Cause I get close to him. He's liable to thump me on the head, kick me into hell. I know he'll shame me. And I know he'll say, what were you thinking? And, uh, you know, what, what led you to do such a stupid thing? Uh, so they hid from him because they were afraid what they might hear or see or whatever. So what the, the interesting so, thing to me is that God, God came looking and looking for him again. I mean, he's still looking for him. He, he's walking in the garden going, Hey, where are you? Uh, <laughs> because he was, he wasn't, he was not ashamed. It was like, God was saying, this is my opportunity to show my true nature. I'm a God of mercy. I always have been a God of mercy and I'm looking for a place to show mercy. Anybody around here need any mercy? Now, I can't, I, I don't assume that you're done with this journey because you're a young man, but what was the turning point for you <laughs> oh. to be able to accept that version of a perfect father and that the work of Jesus was enough for you to not have to be worthy of it? Like, where, where was that turn for you where you said, okay, I let go, love me like I don't deserve to be loved? Well, first of all, I want to say, Aaron, you're you're now my favorite person since you said I'm not old. Well, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I go back to that uh, hospital room. That was that was the first, you know, flash. That was the first mm-hmm. glimpse of it. And then, uh, as I, it, it changed the way I read the Bible. I, I was. Uh, I was already committed to the scripture. I had already come to the place to say, I don't understand it all, but if that's not the final authority, if God doesn't have the final word, then I, I, I'm, I'm out. I, 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 was, I was not going to do ministry from what we call back then the liberal deal of, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. uh, so as I read scripture, I, I was looking for that. Like I said, I was looking for that Jesus. I wasn't looking for the, angry one and the mad one and the one with the rule book and all. I was looking for that Jesus. So scripture began, began to be alive to me. Uh, it, mm-hmm. was, it was way beyond, you know, just breaking down the text and uh, trying to get the, the, you know, original meaning of the, of the words and all that. It, it was life to me. I, I would read it and weep. And I would, uh, I, I would say what Nate said earlier, it's like, that can't be true. That can't be true. That can't be true. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would, my brother is, uh, he's kind of my, my mentor. He's 16 years older than I, and was, it was in, was a pastor. And I would go to him and say, here's what I'm seeing, uh, about the nature of God and the nature of the gospel. And he was, uh, he would say, well, yeah, that sounds good. Be careful with that. You could, you could get off there. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. What, what did he mean by that? What did he mean yeah. by you could get off there? Go ahead. I, I want to hear what you think. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we all said that. I, I still have people telling me that. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, <laughs> don't quite go that far because, you know, you're giving people a license to sin. Yeah. You know, have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, first of all, I don't think people need a license to sin. They seem to do it okay without <laughs> but I think there's something about our us and our innate morality our the, the 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 law mentality that we've we all have had or and some still have of uh you yeah uh, God's good and he'll do his part but you got to do your part you, you you can't just you can't just put it all over on God yeah you you've got to do something too and there's always that fear, I think, of overstating it or not completely stating it right and not leaving the the burden with us of, oh yeah, you've got to continue. You've got to mm-hmm. you've got to believe, you've got to be obedient, you've got to you gotta live it out. You know, even even in, in statements like it's okay 
It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay not to stay not okay. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yeah. Even that is a is a is a kind of a twist. You know, it's the truth yeah. is it's okay to not be okay because that's mm-hmm. when you go to the throne of grace to find mercy and time to help. And 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 the way he helps you is not all as you know if, if you've battled with any addictions or any kind of uh, any kind of uh, bondage in your life. You know that sometimes uh, going to the throne of grace doesn't fix the problem immediately, and mm-hmm. sometimes doesn't fix it ever. But mm-hmm. you get fixed in that you are now draped all over Jesus, and you've discovered that He loves you like you are, and you'd rather you'd rather focus on Him than than anything else. And you, so your intimacy with Him uh, begins to push out other things just kind of by the way. It's not mm-hmm. like I'm coming to Jesus so he'll fix me here. No, I'm just coming yeah. to Jesus because I'm coming to Jesus. I'm coming yeah. to him because he is the most delightful person I can possibly know. I'm coming to him because he loves me when nobody else even knows what I do. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't get it. I'm, I'm coming yeah. to him because that's the only refuge I have. And then, mm-hmm. it, And then sometimes you look around and those old things start falling away. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Nate, I'm pretty sure this is part of the sermon you're talking about, right? Yeah, and, sure. And That's yet, it. how many more years did it take for you oh, to let yeah. go and let that be more true than your present it, desires? It was easier for me to present it to my son and believe it for my son than it was for me to believe it for myself. Hmm. Not sure what that means. Uh, hey, uh, you're in Texas still, aren't you, Deadly? Yeah. You've got a, yeah, you guys got a retreat center down there, conference center. You're still in ministry. Yeah. Um, you mentioned football. Just as an aside, Allie and I are uh, in uh, exile down here in Florida, spending a lot of time in a condominium. We've been uh, binge watching an old television show called Friday Night Lights, <laughs> which is about Texas high school football, right? So I've, we're now almost to the end of season five. That's the last season. And we now we're a little bit desperate. We don't know what we're going to do next. Uh, uh, lead character there is coach Eric Taylor, who is described by his wife and many others as a molder of men. Um, and when I think about Dudley Hall, and when I hear about Dudley Hall, and I've heard about you a lot over the years, uh, it's a common description of you, whether those words are used or not. Uh, uh, God has used you in the molding of men. So I'm wondering whether um, over time you have seen common uh, needs and common themes in the men that God calls you to work with. And uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing is whether as time goes on, you've been in the game a long time, you are seeing any changes in recent years. Well, um, growing up in the South and going to a little uh, little church and growing up on a farm slash ranch, uh, I, I work with men. I work with my cousins mm-hmm. and I work with uh, tenant farmers and whatever. I, I work with men all the time out in the fields and uh, whatever. And I loved I loved the teamwork. I loved the camaraderie. I loved men joking with each other, playing tricks on each other, just, you know, men being silly, men being men. And I was, you know, a young one, and these other people were people I looked up to because they were older older men. And then I would go to church on Sunday, and uh, those men that had been so much fun Saturday are, are just, they look like they <laughs> swallowed a, a rod or something, you know. They, they, they look uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. I just remember that bothering me when I was, uh, you know, as I got older enough to think about it as a, High school person's like, why do men not like church? The women seem to be having a blast here. You know, <laughs> praising God, they're praying, they're running the programs, and all the men are, are you know, they're, they serve on boards and they park cars and so forth. But they, they don't, they're not having any fun. What happened to all those jokes we were telling yesterday? And so, so anyway, yeah. I, I look back on it and I realize that bothered me. That bothered, stirred me. So mm-hmm. I started uh, kind of. It wasn't so much intentional, but I just wanted to know why. Why don't men like like God? Why don't Why don't they like being in the fellowship of 
of Christians. So, you know, I, I, I just, as I talked to men and would ask them and relate to them, then, you know, like I said, I played, played football and, up in the college level and uh, being around those guys and same, same kind of deal. But uh, uh, when men started getting honest, you, 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 I just realized we all live with the same sense of disqualification. Mm-hmm. We all live with shame. We all, we all live with guilt. We all, you know, we have, we have this sense that I don't measure up. And then we look mm-hmm. at the women and they're having fun at church and that adds to it. It's like, well, I can't, I can't. And so I, you know, I hear men say, my wife's a whole lot more spiritual than me. It's like, well, why would you say that? Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and they're talking about the, the way they express it and so forth. So it, it was just because I, I, I love being with men. Uh, I don't, I don't mean <laughs> sexually. I, I, I just meant I, I was a man. I wanted to be with men. I, and I wanted to be with men that I respected. And I wanted to be with men who were movers and shakers and, made a difference in the world. And, and I, so I, I began saying, what's, what's wrong? What's our, what's our hiccup? What's, what's a big deal? Somewhere along the line, uh, this was some later on, I became acquainted with the writings and the ministry of Leanne Payne. And that was helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Gordon Dalby became a good friend. In fact, uh, he and I used to speak at some of the common big men's conferences back before, Promise Keepers yeah. and all that, some of the deal. So Gordon had written a book called The Healing of the Masculine Soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had worked with the, uh, I think, Peace Corps somewhere in uh, Africa, Nigeria, I think. And he had uh, talked to uh, talked to, to the people over there and, and asked a young man one time, uh, the, the young man asked him, how do people in America, how does a boy know when he's a man? And Gordon didn't know how to answer that. You know, he said, well, you know, he said, well, how do y'all know you're a man? And so he told him this elaborate rite of passage ceremony yeah. where uh, the boy lives with the mom in her hut until the time when the men in the community think the boy has made it to the, to the point where he needs to be called into manhood. And they, they show up outside the hut with singing and beating drums and whatever. And they invite him to come out and go to the wilderness and and be with them for several weeks where they teach him uh, how to fight, how to, how to work, how to relate, what the values of community are, all that kind of stuff. And then when they come back into town, the father gives him his own hut. And that way everybody knows he's a man. He, 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 he crossed over. And, and so uh, Gordon and I talked about that a lot. And so I came back and uh, developed a similar type deal. I thought, you know, we're not in Nigeria. How, how does that look in America? Yeah. So now for thirty something years we've been doing a rite of passage every 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 year. We now do it every other year. But mm-hmm. but I've done the rite of passage in multiple countries, uh all, all over the United States, because there's something inside a boy that wants to be called the man in him wants to be called out. And it yeah. doesn't have to be called out. Uh because you you you're joined to your mom, you've been in her Tummy for her mm-hmm. nine months, uh, first few years, she's she's the most important person. You're you're hooked to her, and the way God designed it. But there has to be a time when you're called away to say, "What does it mean to be a man?" And yeah. that doesn't mean you're negative toward mom, but you you know it's just different. Girls don't have to do that. There, it's kind of built in for them. Uh, mm-hmm. But but boys do need it, and most cultures have a rite of passage. So just in uh, the intentional study of what does it mean to move from the boyhood stage to the young man stage to the adult man stage, just studying the psychology of that, the, mm-hmm. the neuroscience of that, the biblical stuff of that, you know, I, I'll just have to say in all that study, somewhere along the line, you know, it's like, okay, the, these are the dynamics of masculinity. These are the dynamics of manhood. And of course, none of them ever get beyond. I, I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's not true. the stages of growth are, are pretty obvious, but if you don't get that first one right, a man mm-hmm. will always have trouble. And the first stage of development is being loved. Oh. That's why God designed it for every baby to be held by mom right here, eight inches from her eyes, 
And as he looks into those eyes, he sees somebody who delights in him, though he is not adding anything to the equation. That's mm-hmm. essence of mercy. That's essence of yeah. love. And so when you're delighted in, and, and it, it begins to develop the, the brain, the joy center of the brain, uh, when you're delighted in, then, then you can move to some responsibilities. Who, who am I as it relates to the family? Who am I as it relates to the world? You know, what's, what's whatever. But, but uh, for, for a man not to get that stage and that stage not to be continually developed in his life, if he's told early on, you, you've got to work to, to earn that and mm-hmm. uh, you've got to work to earn it in the family, you got to work to earn it in church, you got to work to get rewards when you get to heaven. And he, and he, he, he's automatically going to feel shame because he can't, he can't get it all done. So, so he lives with this performance deal. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, to get back to say, Hey boys, you got some problems in your life. God's still walking in the garden and he's still looking for somebody he can show mercy to anybody here qualified. Anybody, mm-hmm. anybody got a problem? Mm-hmm. If you got a problem, you qualify. And we were told if you got a problem that disqualifies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the yeah. kingdom upside down stuff. Mm, say it yeah. again. If yeah. you got a problem, <laughs> you're you qualified. qualified. You qualified. <laughs> no? Oh, it's that beautiful. is so beautiful. So, so I I want to hear though the second part to Nate's question. Over the years, you've done this initiation for young men and men who need to be called out. Have you seen any changes, or are those needs so core? That it's the exact same, the the needs are the same, the process is the same, or have you seen changes? The most mostly the changes would be in in the the gods that we've changed through the years, uh, know, the symbols of success, the, the the goals that we go for, those have changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the basic need of uh, being loved, the basic need of belonging, the basic yeah. need of teamwork. Uh, Coming to the end of yourself and discovering only at that point of the end of yourself will you discover I need others and I need I need God of course uh, yeah. those don't change uh, but but yeah the way it's presented and the different idols that you have to identify in your life that are that's sucking your life away that that changes mm, mm. nice yeah yeah can I ask you. Uh, one more. I, I'm watching the clock, Nate. I don't know what your plan was. Did you Did you have a question that you needed to ask, or <laughs> no, can I ask ahead. mine? Okay, go ahead. Ask yours. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned you're in the hospital, freshman in college, and because you got a glimpse of a Jesus who was so gracious to you, you started reading the Bible differently. And I think for a lot of our listeners, they have come to view. I mean, they're not suspicious of the Bible because that would make them bad, right? The Bible's good. But every right. time they encounter it, it it is this angry, shaming God. And what you described as being able to read the exact same verses and come to an incredibly gracious interpretation, which means the term biblical is not so much biblical, but interpretical. Uh, it, I don't know. I'm making up words now. That, that the filter through which we believe God comes to us ends up being how we interpret the same verses, and you started to find it life-giving. And yet, I love that you said that was viewed with some suspicion. Don't take that grace too far. because yeah. so, so how do you invite people who have maybe come to a mixed relationship with God's Word because they haven't discovered that God— how do they find permission that they aren't all of a sudden theologically liberal just because God is gracious and loving? What do no, you say God, to them? I don't know. I'd say I don't know. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, what I do is, and I've tried to do this for the last, you know, 40 years at least, uh, I, I try not to, when I'm speaking, teaching, preaching, whatever, uh, I, I, I try not just to give information or, or just to, you know, explain the exegetical details of whatever, but I, I try to, I try to experience Jesus in, in the exposition, in the, the yes, you know, yes, 
so because I, I want whoever's there, whether it's 10,000 people, not that I speak to 10,000 people anymore, but whether it's uh, a thousand or it's one, mm-hmm. I, I want them to, I want them to get more than the transfer of information. Uh, and I certainly want them to get more than, you know, oh, they're impressed with my ability to speak or whatever. I mean, there was a time that was, it was important, but uh, I've heard me a lot of times and it, it ain't all that good. So, <laughs> <laughs> not, not impressed. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I try not to, I don't know how to answer it all altogether, Aaron, but what what I want people to do is when when they go away, I, I want them to believe that if they open their Bible, mm-hmm. they can see the same Jesus that I saw. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to I don't want to show it to them and they go, Wow, Dudley, man, he can get some great insight. I wonder how he does that. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to do it. I, I want them to go, yeah. hey, if you can open your Bible and, and encounter Jesus like that. I got a Bible. Maybe I can. Mm-hmm. And and then a, as I explain the things to them, from a Christocentric perspective, since I believe the whole Bible is related to Christ, you know, mm-hmm. the greatest hermeneutical, uh, the hermeneutics class ever taught was on the road to Emmaus. Where yeah. Jesus, those those guys were walking with Jesus, and he, he started in Genesis and went through the whole Bible. It says he showed them that it referred to him. And they said, mm-hmm. it says they're heartburned. We had heartburn. Mm-hmm. Did not a heartburn one. Well, that's what I want. If your heart doesn't burn, you're not seeing Jesus in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So so there has to be that passion, that that intimacy, that something that happens beyond the brain. That 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 when you read it, you're encountering a living Christ. Now, every time I read the Bible, does does it happen at the same level? No. But I'm always looking for right. I'm always looking for Jesus. I'm expecting that. And if there is therefore no condemnation in Christ, then if when I open the Bible and find condemnation, then I'm yeah. still filtering Scripture through the branches of the bush I'm hiding behind in Eden, avoiding what I believe will be the wrath of God in my own shame. Great statement. Y'all write that. Oh, oh, oh well said. Very good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, D- Dudley, we're coming close to the end of our time. I, 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 I do want to say, you know, more than 30 years have passed since I heard you preach in that uh, church in Coral Springs, Florida. Um, I don't remember all the content of what you said. Uh, but what I do remember was um, the passion uh it was clear to me as I heard you preach that this was as sweet as you to you as it sounded, hmm. that it was deeply personal, and that you weren't trying to argue us into anything so much as you were just trying to show us something. Hmm. And uh, and also when I when I think back, you know, we we sent our boy away and he came back a different. He came back a man nine months later. And I think uh, he got some fathering down there that I wasn't able to give him. Hmm. And I'm uh, okay. I'm getting all maudlin here, but I just want to say his mother and I thank you. And thank you for taking the time to join us uh, on this episode of the pirate monk podcast. Hey, well, thank you for inviting me. It's been fun talking to you guys and uh, you're, Hey, come to Texas sometimes. I mean, all right. If you'll be good boys, God will let you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nate, Nate and I are out. Oh, wow. okay. <laughs> all right. Hey, we're always looking for places to do Samson retreats. I want to come down and look your place over. And, okay. Uh, yeah, might work out. Okay. Well, all right. Well, listeners, no, go ahead. Thank you, Dudley. And we will be right back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk podcast. 
Uh, all right. So we haven't talked about this for a long time, but I think it it is worth recapping. Mm-hmm. I love Dudley's story of encountering a gracious Jesus, encountering a loving father, and then that became the... He talked about hermeneutics, how we understand, how we interpret the Bible. That yeah, became yeah. kind of the decoder ring through which he could enjoy Scripture. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I grew up believing I was supposed to enjoy Scripture, but I didn't always know how. And I know an awful lot of people that have zero desire to sit down. Yeah. They, they'd rather read like a little devotional thing that has one verse and then a whole lot of writing by anybody but yeah, yeah. the Bible. Or the back of a cereal box. Anything. Anything. So, <laughs> so the the idea that anybody can learn yeah. to encounter Scripture in a way that brings life, because it goes back to I'm encountering God. I'm knowing <laughs> him more. I'm not knowing more stuff. Yeah. I'm not stuff. You know, getting the background of what was happening in Ephesus when this letter was written to them. It's bigger than that because it's the person of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his very essence is one of mercy and compassion and kindness and unconditional love. And it's totally there. It's all there. Unless we're reading it from that place that we believe it's all supposed to shame us. Well, yeah, I've had this experience. Now, my experience was not quite the same as his, but I, I, it was absolutely shocking to me after I got into recovery. To to and I had been a I'd, I'd studied the Bible for years. I'd been a preacher. I'd taught from the Bible for years. I once I was in recovery, all in, opened that Bible. It was a freaking different book. Unbelievable. I had no idea that my perspective was so skewing my experience of Scripture until my perspective changed. And I think I have a more accurate perspective now. I don't think that I just changed filters. I think I lost a filter. Well, and, the, and, and this, yeah. is, this is the lie of hermeneutics. Yeah. And I know right. you and I have both gone to hermeneutics classes. I remember my inductive Bible study classes and anyone that yeah, went yeah, yeah. to inner varsity, I think was the sure, college right. club that was way into inductive Bible study. We, we, we were taught here are the tools, understand the language, the culture, yeah. the context, how this applies to other verses. And then you will know what it means. But what nobody said is also your imagination, how you picture yeah. this is also going to interpret what it means. So when I read the Gospels, what's the all the nonverbals, the tone of Jesus' voice, the yes. look on his face will yes. all create for me an interpretation of what his words mean. Yeah, right. But nobody talks about that because that's too subjective. Let's just pretend we're just dealing with culture and context and language. Right. Bullshit. Right. If I'm a shamed person, I will read Jesus' words and see a shaming look in his face, and I will believe he feels ashamed of me. And I've just interpreted the Bible. Right, right. How many of us have made the mistake or seen others made the mistake of trying to uh, resolve a conflict by text message? Oh, my. Not me. I'm smarter than that. (laughs) It will not happen because, because when we're in conflict— we will read tone and inflection into that text, whether it or it come from mm-hmm. our own insecurity, our own fear. We'll read tone and inflection into a text that was not that was not placed there by the author. We're convinced that it's true, and we get absolutely the wrong message. Here, let me let me give an example for our listeners yeah. that aren't quite sure what we're talking about. Let's take a verse like Jesus saying, "If you love me, you will keep my commands." Right. That was always taught in a way, and I understood that to be, if I'm not keeping his commands, I don't love him. Right, yeah. Now, there's only a couple ways Jesus could have said that. These are words out of his mouth. One is a whiny, insecure Jesus. Come on, guys, if you love me, you'll do it, which is how I interpreted it. 
Right. If sure. I don't do it, I don't love him. Right. right. But there's another way that he could have yeah. said it, which is, oh, kid, don't worry. If you love me, it'll happen. It's it's just going to it's going to flow. It's going to be OK. <laughs> so then I'm right. Faced, then I'm faced with. Wait a minute. I've spent all these years not admitting that I have a whiny, insecure Jesus who's like, yeah. do it to prove it or else I can't feel it versus right. a secure Jesus. I couldn't. Again, it was too good to be true that he's like, oh, yeah. no, this is an invitation. This is yeah, an invitation. Right. It's OK. Yeah, I love yeah. you. You're I think you're amazing. Yeah, you're not getting this yet, but d- don't worry. You love mm-hmm. me, and I know that if you love me, it's going to happen. You're going to keep yeah. my commands, and for a good reason, not just to be a good kid that's approved of by other people. It's okay. Wow. And and that one tweak changes a verse from being shaming to being empowering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff, Aaron. Good stuff. I love having me a nice, solid gospel conversation on a Monday afternoon. That's a good way this to start is good. the week. I, I, like <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I love never knowing who's going to be here on these days. Yeah. I think yeah. Dudley's great. I, he's the kind of guy that I'd like to spend an afternoon with, and I think that I would come out uh, just loving Jesus more. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I think we've come to the end of the hour. Uh, by the way, we'd love feedback. Please, we love feedback. You can always reach us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. If you yeah. are a member of the Samson Society and are not getting the no bull briefing, boy, we got some big, exciting announcements coming up. The second revised and expanded edition of Samson and the Pirate Monks is in the works, and we're looking for contributors uh, exciting things coming up on the Sarah Society, the Women's Retreat in the Spring, regional stuff going on, uh, big international retreats in Italy in the fall. All right. I guess that does it, Aaron. You ready to sign off? I'm ready. Okay. We're going we're gonna to do the sign off. Here it goes. Big surprise. <laughs> Until next week. I'm Nate. I feel like throwing in a surprise. I'm Pepe again. (laughs) And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.